0: Hi, welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law, Series 5. This is the OG of Legal Recruitment Podcast. Every episode I'm joined by a top mind from the legal profession and hopefully they're sharing three key lessons that they've learned in law that are aspirational to our listeners and give you a bit of a track record as to how they've got to the position that they're in today. I'm delighted to be joined by Francesca Porter. Hi, Francesca.
1: Hi, delighted to be here. Feeling a little bit like a legal Adele today.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, give us a a song.
1: (laughs) You you wouldn't want to hear my
0: Francesca is currently general counsel at Onfido, which is an AI software business which is focused on biometrics and facial identity. I was reading recently has gone through a, an acquisition which uh, is very exciting
1: yeah we we only announced that yesterday yeah so very excited about that
0: amazing has that been full-on recently
1: it was it was i mean uh, m&a like whether it's big small medium is always really time intensive for the lawyers but also just great learnings and uh, what we've acquired is a really privacy-centric amazing company with some really cutting-edge technology so we're really excited to see what we can do with that
0: nice one. And then the work starts here on the integration. Exactly. So we'll hear more about Francesca's role and she, she sits on the execo and Fido as well, which is a real something that a lot of lawyers aspire to do. So we'll be interested to hear about how that came around and how you support the Exec. But we'll jump into lesson one.
1: I love this idea, this concept of the three lessons I learned and I, I had to have a really good think about the, the key lessons. The first I'd say is that smart people simplify. That's a phrase that many of us will have heard. But when it comes to law, there are lots of complex concepts. Mm-hmm. And when you're working in a law firm, yeah, you know, getting your head around that technical detail is an amazing discipline. But then when you go in-house, being able to take that technical detail and turn it into actionable insights and concrete steers mm-hmm. is what's really important. So I've seen some absolutely incredible lawyers come up with very detailed technical papers, you know, words of advice that don't actually have an impact on the business. And we had our legal offsite recently, and we were talking about the differences between advising and influencing. Now you can give your advice and it can be perfection, but if nobody's listening, if you're not able to drive changes within the business and you're not able to influence, then how meaningful are you in in your role? So smart people simplify. Back to the lesson... (laughs) The power of lawyers uh, is not only to understand and to articulate the legal position, but it's to effectively convey a message to key business stakeholders that you want to be heard and to drive influence. And the more simple you can make the message, the more data that you can use to substantiate it and speak in the language of your stakeholders, the more impactful you can be.
0: Yeah, excellent. Where did you first learn that? Was that in practice or in in in-house and your roles in-house?
1: I had this interesting conversation recently with this wonderful video resource group within our company called On Early. And it's all about early career uh, journeys. And and one of the questions that came up was around mentors. We were talking about the importance of mentors and and where you learn things. And and I, I would say that when it comes to learnings, I'm a bit of a, a beggar, a borrower and a thief. You know, I, I, I have mentors all over because I look at, e- at everyone and try and see how they're managing to be impactful. Yeah. And with the smart people simplify, one of the most impactful people that that I've worked with was a, a privacy lawyer and uh, he was ex-Google and he wrote in the Google style of writing mm. and he was able to divine very, very complex concepts into very simple one pages that were scalable, getting it out of his head and effectively onto a one pager that could then be shared on and on and on and on Mm. so that he wasn't just in a corner giving very complex advice. He was conveying a message across a, a large number of people. And so, yeah, I, it was really through watching his writing style and his impact right. that I realized, you know, there's no prizes when you're in-house for e- delivering a really complicated <laughs> summary okay. and showing how clever you are. Yeah. You know, the prize comes from making someone else's job, usually your, your manager, your boss, really easy because you're, you're summarizing things in a way they can understand. You can append all the technical detail, that's fine, but, but simplify, yeah. but allow them to have that key message before they dive into that.
0: Right. And were you always cut out to be an in-house lawyer?
1: My mum uh, was a private practice lawyer; she's a corporate lawyer, right. and my dad, when he was alive, was a lawyer as well. And my mum said, "Don't be a lawyer." Right. <laughs> <laughs> but my alternative career options were, uh, you know, at, at a young age, I sort of I looked at being a mermaid, but it didn't seem feasible. <laughs> and then uh, when I raised being a, I really I like biology, and I was interested in, um, you know, something biology based, but. My mum was quick to point out that I might end up studying um, algae off the coast of Scunthorpe. Um, so having closed off other options, you know, actually the law was a, was an area that I was really interested in as a platform for other things. And I went into it because I I actually saw my mum being an incredible career woman and really impressive. And we lived in the countryside and she used to have these kind of businessmen coming over at the weekends to ask her for advice on their mergers. She did a lot of IPOs and so on. And I just thought she was really impressive. Uh, So I went into the law, partly for a lack of imagination and and partly because of that. Yeah,
0: that's a great story.
1: Yeah. And and, she thought the riskiest thing I'd done was to take the step from private practice into in-house work. But now that I'm in-house, actually, I do think I'll stay in the law because I I love the business side Mm. of what we do in-house. Yeah. And I love that broader work that you get to be across and how you see that business impact of your advice.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's good. And it can take you, once you're in that environment, in that business environment, you're advising on risk and, and risk appetite and exactly. other, other areas which are, are impactful for the business. So you're looked at as a good operator, hopefully, rather than.
1: And we have such a purview as lawyers across so many different areas mm. that when it comes to joining the dots, sometimes we have those kind of strategic mm-hmm. business insights through the virtue of our function. That's what I really enjoy. And you, you mentioned being on the executive. That's something I enjoy about being on the executive, mm-hmm. actually, being yep. able to join dots that, that I'm able to bring together for strategic insights and to help guide um, some of our decisions just through
0: the virtue of being within a legal team. And for Jessica, your mum of twins...
1: I am, yeah. yes. And they say there's a very special place in heaven for um, twin mothers. Although I did meet a triplet mother the other day, oh, so wow. she must be going to leave specialer.
0: specialist. Yeah, even higher, <laughs> even higher. And do you, would you advise your kids to be lawyers? Or would it, what would your reaction be compared to your mum's?
1: I think we all just want our kids to be happy, don't we? Yeah. We want them to be happy. And, uh, and hopefully they will just choose something that makes them happy. I do think any profession where you get that training and that discipline is a great platform whether you stay in it or like you you go into you go into other things whether you enjoy your private practice years or not like a few people would say that it wasn't a good training Um, and so you know I I would not close that option off to them but I would also just hope that they'll find what what their passion is
0: yeah yeah we're all on a journey that's it it's a journey to get to where you are so I'd, I'd never regret anything really but
1: I'm the same I don't believe in regrets just yeah. kind of you know lesson
0: so we we'll move on to lesson two
1: we talked a bit about Onfido but to talk about the journey that I've been on with them mm. I started at Onfido when there are 100 people and I was there was only one other lawyer at the time the general counsel and we were in this office in Covent Garden and it was chaos, but it was magic. There was a galley kitchen and people always burning toast. So the whole office felt of burnt toast. There's lots of developers wandering around with no shoes on, just in their socks. And it was a really exciting time. And uh, my lesson that I learned from joining at 100 people and seeing the business scale all the way up from 1 million in revenue to you know over 100 million in revenue is that as lawyers, you know, to be effective we need to be more of an airbag than a seatbelt right so when i think about the early days on Vito, i could be pointing out risks in contracts which i which i did but the biggest risk was never getting that business from the 1 million to the 100 million mm-hmm. you know not not being able to sign the contracts not being able to ramp losing out to competitors not being able to fundraise mm-hmm. and so effectively you, you know as an in-house lawyer you have to have that real holistic vision on on and everybody talks about commercial awareness it's a bit of a buzzword but you really do have to be aware of the very much broader macro environment mm. in which your business is operating in and sometimes you don't want to hold that growth and that scale back mm. and you don't want to be a seatbelt but you do need to build in safeguards mm. and airbags yeah there, yeah whether it's contractually or in The way that you're building your technology, whether it's in your policy documents, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's worth sometimes not blocking things. You know, maybe there's that really thorny, horrible contract, but it was with an enormous logo. Right. And that logo is going to bring on other logos a little bit like I don't know if you saw the Spotify documentary. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, the, I think it's episode three, the law, where they know Document-
0: they, Yeah, the, yeah, the, they know
1: it, The playlist it's yeah, called. Yeah, and they know that if they sign one record label, that the others will follow. Mm. And and in that situation, being at Onfido, we when we signed our first enterprise bank, for mm-hmm. example, you might want you might need to take some different risk positions to get that over the line than you will long term.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, it's sort of that. Understanding the business environment, and as I mentioned, uh, back not a seatbelt. Yeah,
0: it's a great, it's <laughs> a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Prior to being on Fido, you were in house at Hewlett Packard.
1: I was. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is it a different approach within the high growth tech? Do you feel?
1: I mean, a very very different business. They did a large outsourcing agreement. Mm. Um, which are very complex and very challenging to deliver. And you're absolutely right. Every business is different in its stage of growth, in its products that it's delivering, in the risks that it's able to take, and trying to have your finger on the pulse and understanding <laughs> the company's strategy. The position that it's in um, mm-hmm. is really important when you're making those risk decisions. Yeah, And also bringing in the right stakeholders, because as legal, we can say, this is the risk, this is the potential reward, this is my recommendation. We can stay away from the rocks, but we don't necessarily need to make the ultimate decision. You know, the CEO or or somebody else with more of a holistic vision than we might have, who actually has even more information in terms of serious escalations, is the relevant person to make that. And the key difference between Onfido and HP was that Onfido is very small and agile, so we can move pretty quickly. Mm. We could rip up rule books and so on. HP had um, much more governance, so like they had two week governance cycles. They had something called a deal assessments tool, and um, it was it was interesting moving to Onfido because there was elements of best practice there mm. that I wanted to bring over, but I also didn't want to slow down this really fast growth agile company.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I had to create something completely mm. new, and we've iterated on that over oh, over the time as yeah. well. Yeah,
0: but then still the stuff you must have seen it. HP with the best practice and yeah. what good looks like in a larger organisation is you can hopefully bring those practices over as the business grows at Onfido.
1: Yes, totally. And at Onfido, what was right for 100 people and um, 1 million in revenue wasn't right when we were 200 people mm. and 50 million in revenue
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: the same again when you, in the next iteration. So it's kind of a continual evolution yeah. to get to the, the, the place that you want to be, which is ultimately when you're a PLC that you got these really well documented positions but even at HP we had to take unusual risk positions to get some deals
0: in What did you make of that Spotify series isn't that a Netflix series I
1: really really enjoyed it I think like um, again we talked about this recently at my legal offsite with the team but there's a few attributes of I think it was Petra the lawyer yeah. there
0: Yeah she had a huge impact on She on, did
1: and, and she took on a much broader role than the typical sort of lawyer which mm. what well, I thought was really interesting you know she had a, an instrumental role in defining their pricing model yeah um, and what they put behind a paywall and, mm. and the phil- philosophy of mm. access to music for free mm-hmm. but putting the technology and the really sensitive algorithms and the unique selling points of Spotify behind a paywall to drive sustainability of the long term business yeah and she then got the buy-in from the key stakeholders, you know, yeah. from, from the founders, and then went back to the record labels, and then it still wasn't mm. enough, and they wanted a share in the business, and she then negotiated the corporate aspect of that. Mm. She did a lot of ecosystem building,
0: yeah, and deal making. Yeah.
1: Deal making, yeah. yeah, which
0: that yeah, was cool. Actually, I, I enjoyed that. I did too. Sort of it, um, yes, yeah, a huge role. Cool. Is she your lawyer? The aspirational lawyer, uh, <laughs> fictional or non-fictional.
1: <laughs> She's one of
0: so. On. And outside of tech, I mean, you've obviously had a lot going on recently. But what's your passions outside of work?
1: So I think probably like many lawyers out there, I went into the law because of love of writing, right? And, and definitely not recently. I haven't. I have to admit, I haven't had a creative thought since my twins were born. <laughs> but um, but 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 prior to my my girls who are now two being born, I, I did a novel writing course at the Faber Academy, right? Which was just brilliant. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I had actually written. One bad book before I did that course and forced you know various family members to read it um, and sort of been told it was not that great.
0: Right, <laughs>
1: uh, so I thought I better go. I better go and and do you know do a course on this if uh-huh. I if I if I'm enjoying writing. Um, and so I did it, it was Wednesday nights and Saturdays and uh, it was um, it was really great I met some amazing people and I turned up and I thought you know we're just going to have lessons in characterization and how to structure a plot mm-hmm. but actually you write a book on the course right. so at the end um, I had sort of uh, finished this this book and um you know, it's much better than the first one, that's for sure. And I had a bit of agents interest which is which is great. Oh, good. Um but uh yeah, so I th- it's something that I'd like to come back to with yeah. to life, yeah, I think. Cool. Writing, um uh, and creative creative work. But my husband used to say, uh, it's lonely being married to a writer. <laughs> Because I go like I'd just go to the library and write this novel all day on Saturday and Yeah. lose like six hours in the in the world of imagination. So yeah. I think it might be a, a later life thing for me. Like,
0: uh, once the kids are uh, yeah. Yeah. Over the kids that are running around uh, not giving you not giving you peace.
1: Exactly. I'm lucky I, if I've got time to wash my hair these days.
0: So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had Abigail Dean who's um she was a lawyer at Google but she wrote Girl A. Oh, that's the, really um, Bestseller, so she was a guest on the on the podcast. She's doing good.
1: It's interesting. Good there's money. quite a few writers um, who are also lawyers on the Faber course, and I know that there's been some amazing novels from lawyers who've just taken the like, a sabbatical to write yeah. them and so on.
0: Yeah, that's great. Really well, Yeah, definitely got to explore, explore the passion right? and writing when it's when it's writing and words have meaning as as yeah. longer. So, um, yeah, you sort of you get. I guess you get to flex that muscle when you're. When you're you're drafting or doing doing contracts, mostly.
1: But I mean, the weird thing it, that I would say is, you think doing a writing course on, a, on an evening in the weekend would make you sort of, you know, maybe a bit depleted for your legal role in the week. But mm. I found it so energising, and it really made me think in a different way. It was it actually improved my role because I was like using this creative side of my brain that was helping me to approach challenges in my legal role daily in a different way.
0: move on to lesson three.
1: Lesson three okay so this one and this may be slightly influenced by me joining a startup but I think it's an important lesson whether you're a startup or not and that is the power of the network right so at Onfido um, I worked with a fantastic one of the co-founders and he was the COO and whenever I used to go, if we had a question and I used to go away and spend, you know, a big chunk of time researching, mm-hmm. he'd say, why don't you just ask your network? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself, what is this network of which he speaks? You know?
0: <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I
1: know, it's like six years ago now, quite sort of, you know, a lawyer that's come straight out of private practice and then into HP. But then I, I thought about it. And, and when I left HP, it was after the big corporate separation. And a lot of the legal team in the UK moved off to... Amazon and Google and Expedia and Mm -hmm. Jitsu and Secret Escapes and these great companies. Mm -hmm. And they were all experiencing new learnings Mm -hmm. and and similar challenges like around the time of the GDPR coming out as me. Right. And so I thought, actually, I do have a pretty good network. Maybe I will just ban these questions out. And as lawyers, and I don't want to generalize, we're all different. Everyone's different. But we are kind of an achiever, self-flagellating bunch. And also in private practice, you don't, you're taught not to ask questions, but to go and research and find the answer yourself. Mm-hmm. But actually, sometimes it's just way more effective to go to your network and say, you know, has anyone got a template precedent for this? Mm-hmm. Or does anyone have a contact for a law firm in this new geo? Has anyone had any experience with data protection law in mm-hmm. this country? Yeah and get that shortcut answer that should save hours and hours and hours
0: yeah what's been your biggest win from that and what do you find the best the, the best mode of, of doing that is
1: yeah so I mean the, uh, Tech GC is just brilliant i go to that with so many different questions um, and just templates brilliant templates that you could spend a lot of money on externally or questions that are not really that law related but more about you don't need to know what best practice is you want to know what the industry's doing mm-hmm so, you know, I could ask for a data retention schedule and mm-hmm. get, you know, four different templates and pick the one that's most suitable for our business.
0: Yeah.
1: Or I could ask about approaches to state findings in the U.S. because we don't have a huge U.S. team and that would be something that somebody would know off the top of their head in the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, or kind of, you know, for benchmarking, mm-hmm. I can get like kind of 20 responses about how people are approaching, for example, a valuation question and then pick or show the data back to the exec and say this is how other tech businesses right. are approaching it so it's a fantastic network yeah. and then really obviously impressive. just personal network
0: yeah as well. and how have things been within tech i think we chatted before recording around like silicon valley bank and all that how how is that is that impacting on your job for that weekend
1: it was, yeah. So we do work with SVB. Um, and, you know, actually, I was very sad about that. They're such a great, great team, yeah. in my opinion. We're actually in the same building as, as SVB. Okay. Um, so I'm really glad that they managed to get that deal in place. Yeah. We're, we're still working again. with them. I think it's been an interesting time in tech. We are a B2B provider. And a lot of our customers are fintechs and challenger banks and um, tech companies, uh, sharing economy companies. And a lot of our customers have had a really hard time, mm. which, you know, flows through. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, but it's also, and I love that Warren Buffett quote, it's only when the tides go out that you see who's been swimming naked. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what I take from that is that in times of abundance, you know, every, any company can show incline and in growth and do well and in times of hardship it's really the, the winners are often the ones with the discipline the operational discipline and the infrastructure to be able to survive mm. um so it I think like any period of downturn it's like been rich with learning
0: mm-hmm. that's important isn't it and coming out of it stronger and what's your uh, on Fido what's your plans beyond that and and next things for you
1: well, i still got still a little bit of life in me yes, left <laughs> on Fido, although I have been there for going on six years. So I think in the future, after on Fido, I'd love to move into a similar sector, but a slightly different sector, learn about a new sector. I'm really passionate about ESG. Right. I actually, just recently went on a, a great course run by the Corporate Governance Institute. So being able to work with something that sort of strikes a heart upon, like a chord my heart in the sustainability sector or renewable energy sector would be fantastic Um, keep an open mind I think again being able to work across different businesses and areas is something that I'd be interested in longer term and then potentially being a non-exact director it's yeah. the dream at the same time as novel writing Almost. potentially yeah. on the Riviera yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly
1: I would yeah. give up the day job just yet yeah. Well. Yeah.
0: and mermaiding mermaiding in your spare exactly. time exactly <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing your, your lessons it's been great to learn those and to hear about your journey
1: thank you so much for having me in the hot seat
0: uh, like, it does feel a bit mastermind sat here <laughs> doesn't it with the lights lights down and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed that episode, then there are a host of great guests that we've had over the last four series. Those are available at herriotbrown.com forward slash podcast. A great resource for anyone that's interested in finding out more. So head on over there. I've been Scott Brown. Thanks for listening. See you next time.